Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It... Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, 10 volumes available in paperback, ebook, and Kindle format at Amazon, and nine volumes currently, hopefully 10 soon, available in audio format at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So please go out and partake of a few copies. And now, may I introduce you to my co-host and brother, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Marvelous, marvelous. I told you uh, before we got on that I moved my Bigfoot uh, (laughs) closer to the street so that he could frighten more people than he was. Just don't put it like in line with your bedroom in your house in case somebody who comes <laughs> by at night gets frightened and unloads a uh, magazine <laughs> from their AR in it. <laughs> well, sure, everybody's riding around with an AR. <laughs> oh, I forgot. You live in New York. <laughs> hey, don't kid yourself. There's probably a lot of people riding around in New York with an AR, according <laughs> to the police plotter. Ah, there you go. <laughs> You know, when they bust these guys on these narco charges, it's ridiculous the weapons they have laid out on the table with the money and the drugs, you know? Oh, no doubt about it. I don't know what these guys are planning to do, an assault on a small city or something, but they got some serious freaking weapons. Mm. But uh, that's a story for another day, bro. That is a story (laughs) for another day. Well, it's getting chilly here, Bill. We're well into the fall. Even in North Carolina, it's getting dark early and getting chillier. Well, it's hard to tell when your hair stands up now, whether it's from the cold or a Bigfoot's bearing down (laughs) on you. (laughs) Maybe a black-eyed kid in the bushes. (laughs) Can I borrow your telephone? Hey, mister, that's an awfully nice Bigfoot you have out front. Did you put that out for me? Because it makes me want to borrow your telephone. <laughs> oh, man. We got to try to dig up some more black-eyed children stuff somewhere yeah, you down didn't, the road. You didn't know that Bigfoot might be a black-eyed children beacon of sorts. <laughs> yeah, sent by them. <laughs> they walk by and they're like, Mama? <laughs> you know, you never know. Bigfoot might be their pet. Could be. You know, they could be uh, in charge of the Bigfoot. Ah. I mean, you know, if you see a black-eyed kid with a, putting a collar around its neck and trying to take it for a walk. 
Yeah. <laughs> and Bigfoot winging him around like a roll of freaking confetti. <laughs> <laughs> hey, put me down, big fella. <laughs> Remember Joe Jitsu on Dick Tracy? <laughs> Trying to sneak up on him? Now, yeah. Joe Jitsu used to grab some criminal and he'd start winging them back and forth with one arm left and right. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Dick Tracy. <laughs> Dick Tracy calling Joe Jitsu. Come in, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Remember all those stupid characters? Hippo Calorie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the big fat guy, Hippo Calorie. Couldn't, mumbles. Couldn't oodles. get away with that now. <laughs> Hippo large person. Hippo large person. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, so what do we have, bro, on our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment? We are going to go back in time, and we're going to go across the Long Island Sound from you. Okay. And up into northern... Connecticut. Not too far. Not too far. You could get there within a couple of hours if you take the mm-hmm. ferry. That is to say, if you want to get oh, there. Yeah, you may uh, want to go there or you may want to <laughs> not want to go there after you hear this story. Yeah, I may change my mind. Yeah. <laughs> the primary collection of these accounts is called the Winstead Wild Man. Ooh. And it's written uh, by a guy named Ray Bendici. Which is where okay. I drew most of my facts from. Okay. And uh, Winstead is northwest of Hartford, Connecticut. So it's up near the border of Vermont and also close to the border of upstate New York, you know, where Vermont, Connecticut, and New York come together. Right. That little confluence there. Yeah. And it's relatively close, by the way, to like a place like Whitehall, New York, which is a bit of a Bigfoot hotbed. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. And uh, this story of the Winstead Wild Man, it first goes back to August of 1895. Ooh, we like the old ones. Uh, We do like the old ones. And at that time, the local newspaper called the Winstead Herald reported a large man, stark naked and covered with hair all over his body, that ran out of a clump of bushes. Hmm. And in this case, it was witnessed by a town selectman named Riley Smith. So it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. You know, here it's, you know, one of the VIPs of the town was the guy that went on record with the newspaper back in 1895 saying that he saw this creature. Yeah, he wasn't just somebody on a bender. Well, and he had a lot to lose, too, is my point, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If they start saying, hey, old Riley Smith's a little crazy, well, he's not going to be the town selector. (laughs) Yeah, well, he was serious about getting it out, because otherwise he wouldn't have started talking about it. Yeah, and tell me if this doesn't sound, I mean, it's only a sentence or two, but tell me if it doesn't sound a lot like other Bigfoot encounters. So, Riley Smith, who was out in the woods with his bulldog... Merrily picking some berries and minding his own business when the creature came along, causing Riley to be, quote, badly scared and his dog was fairly paralyzed with fear, close quote. Mm. Right? In the berry patch, you could imagine, like, 
you know, some scrub oaks around there and that part of Connecticut, mm -hmm. probably five or six feet high. And all of a sudden he comes across this creature. It's amazing the effect they have on animals. Oh, yeah. I mean, the dog's like paralyzed with fear, right? Yeah. I've heard it again and again that the dogs don't even want to bark they at it. They don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Even though they're there with their master, you know, who they generally want to protect, right? Right, right, right. So Riley described it as a wild, hairy man of the woods, six feet in height. And adding that the man's hair was black and hung down long on his shoulders and that his body was thickly covered with black hair. The creature was remarkably agile and to all appearance was a muscular, brawny man, a man against whom any ordinary man would stand little chance in a fight. <laughs> what a description, huh? I know, it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it paints the picture, though, right? Like, you're yeah. like, whoa, okay, this isn't like some scrawny guy that was lost in the woods for a while. Yeah, no starvation victim. No, and certainly uh, we're going to get to it, but not a bear. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean, not a bear? All bears have long hair hanging off of their shoulders. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this Riley Smith, the town selectman, he's not the only one that saw the wild man in that period of time. Wow. So over the next few weeks, the wild man was purportedly seen by at least two other witnesses whose descriptions matched Smith's very closely. There you have it. There you go. Mm -hmm. Now, the Winstead Herald, you know, the newspaper then, um, they speculated that the wild man may have been someone named Arthur Beckwith, who was an escaped mental patient from the nearby Litchfield Sanitarium. Yeah. I don't think who so. Who just happened to have grown, you know, foot-long shoulder hair. Yeah, covered with fur. Covered with fur uh, while uh, on escape. You know, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. At least they didn't say it was a bear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. And then the sightings then soon stopped as suddenly as they had started. And mm -hmm. the Winstead wild man disappeared back into the woods and they forgot about it, at least mm -hmm. for a while. And then about 80 years later, the wild man reappeared in July of 1972. And the Hartford Current, another newspaper, reported that a strange man-like creature was observed by two men on Winchester Road near the Crystal Lake Reservoir. At a long distance near a barn, they saw a figure about eight feet tall and covered completely with hair that walked upright and finally disappeared into the woods. And when it was suggested that what they may have seen was actually a black bear, they replied, quote, it was no bear, close quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, to me, right off the bat, it sounds obviously like two different creatures at two different points in time. Well, yeah, it's 80 years apart, right? So it's mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. likely the same creature. Um, two years later, then, in September of 1974, the wild man was seen again, this time by two couples who had been parked at night by Rugbrook Reservoir. 
they described to police being terrified by seeing a six-foot, 300-pound creature covered with dark-colored hair in the moonlight, and it fled the area immediately. The police went back to search and were unable to find any evidence of the creature. Mm-hmm. So... See, one thing, one thing I like about this, Kevin, not that I'm opposed to things otherwise, but the description is well below what we're used to hearing. We're talking six foot, 300 pounds. And you know, I always say that it's, it's possible that some of the people who give reports or accounts are just over embellishing on what they believe they see because it's so massive. Well, yeah, this and, and again, how do you, you know, in those cases where they see something that they think is so massive, you don't have any relative thing to compare it to. Right. You know, right. we compare it to other humans, right, because we know other humans' weights in a general sense. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now, like, you look at somebody and you say, well, they're probably 250 pounds. That guy's 6'2". Pretty strong, you know, beefy. He's probably 250, like a football player. And then if yeah, you see somebody yeah. that looks like three or four times bigger than that in your mind, then they're, you know, 800 to 1,000 pounds. Yeah. Just when, you talk to, when I talk to a lot of different hunters, uh, just from experience and, and uh, uh, yeah, experience in sighting and taking animals down, they can look at an animal, uh, a deer, an elk, uh, a mule deer, you know, whatever the case may be, a bear, and they can tell you pretty closely, just eyeballing it, the a close weight range of what it is they're seeing. You know, but, it, but it's exactly pounds. that, though, Bill. It's that experience, right? Just exactly. like you know, you have a lot of experience catching striped bass. And if I pulled a striped bass out of the Long Island Sound next to you, you'd be pretty close at guessing its weight. Yeah. I don't have that much experience catching striped bass because they don't have them down by me in North Carolina, really. Not not Mm -hmm. out in the ocean, at least. Mm -hmm. And so if I pulled one in, I'd I'd probably be way off in the estimate just because I don't have the experience. And, you know, those hunters that... You know, see elk, deer, moose, whatever it is that they're hunting, they have that experience. But nobody has experience with Bigfoot. Yeah. No. No. It's a first, it's a one-off. Yeah. You have your encounter, and you're like, what? Totally the different heck? creature, right? Yeah. And now, especially if it's at a distance. Yeah. Now it's pretty interesting. You know, back to this story in Connecticut, the, these sightings in the early 1970s. Some of the newspapers, you know, later on wrote about it um, as recently as 2002. So, you know, 20 plus years ago that this could have been the power of suggestion. Because back then in the early 1970s, they talk about the fact that you couldn't go anywhere like on television even with limited television channels back then, right, four or five, you couldn't mm-hmm. go anywhere without hearing about another Bigfoot sighting or seeing a television documentary about the legend of this large ape-like man that lived in the wilderness, you know, and a site which we've talked about before. Even, you know, the famous television series, The Six Million Dollar Man, 
with Lee Majors as the actor had mm-hmm. a bit of a run in with the, with Bigfoot on that television show. <laughs> you know, and in 1987, you had Bigfoot like a Bigfoot like creature on the uh, television series Harry and the Hendersons. Yeah. So, yeah, so anyway, anyway, they say that, hey, this might just be the power of suggestion. And I thought this was kind of one of the goofiest things I've ever read, Bill, because that's like saying, you know, you and I are here doing these Bigfoot podcasts, you know, regularly for five years now. So that means like if I walk out into my yard tonight and I see a bear, I'm going to immediately think it's a Bigfoot because I was talking about Bigfoot for an hour before. <laughs> like, how dumb is that? Like, <laughs> yeah, and all you of a can. sudden, I'm not going to say, hey, that's a black bear. You know, here in North Carolina, I'm going to be like, whoa, that's a Sasquatch. Like, I yeah. don't think so. Yeah, no, it's, it's not going to happen. It would never happen it to me. It would never happen. Exactly. No, no. and, you know, did. They're talking down to the intelligence of your average human being that all of these odd things suddenly happen to you uh, and you don't know what you're looking at, what to call it, what to say. It's it's just nonsense. That's right, Bill. You, you put it very well. They're talking down to the average person. So then what are they doing to two below average people like you and I? <laughs> yeah, what are you doing to me? Jeez, why are you picking on the dumb guys? Yeah, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> let me go. Get, let me go get a picnic basket. You're a freaking bully, <laughs> and you're a hater. <laughs> you're a bad person. Wow. I, I told him, huh? I suggest you go on vacation. <laughs> to Winstead, Connecticut. <laughs> and what's oh happening there? Yeah, I mean, I like that. Uh, first of all, the way it started with that individual basically sticking his professional neck out Yeah, to uh, speak of what he had encountered. He, he must have thought that it could be a danger to the community at large. Yep. Like, he didn't want to keep it to himself because from what, like he said, this thing would probably, you know, kick the butt of anybody in town. Uh, and who knows what else it may have been capable of, you know. No doubt about it. Wandering around in the woods, you know, and his bulldog didn't even want anything to do with it. Yep. So uh, interesting, really interesting, you know. Yeah, so that's this week of uh, cryptids in the news and other oddities. So what do you have for us this week, Bill, as an account? Well, I'll tell you what. I pulled this account out. I got this uh, quite a few years ago. And I thought to myself, in lieu of the fact that this, I was just talking to uh, somebody in the Pacific Northwest the other day who was going to Portland and they were talking about how Portland has gone downhill uh, with the amount of people living in the woods and on the streets. Apparently it's, it's becoming a very distasteful place to be. Uh, and I know our niece in Colorado said a similar thing is going on up there around uh, Boulder. Okay. And I would imagine other places, you know, yeah. So this account, 
it kind of rings true to what's going on now, but in a different place in time. Uh, so although it's not really lengthy and comes without any tangible evidence of any kind, this story was told to me with such intensity uh, that I felt it worthy of inclusion in one of my uh, earlier books. And this is the story as it was conveyed to me by a fellow named Charlie McGowan. In 1963, I was coming of age for the Vietnam draft, and in my mind, there was no question that I would be drafted. It would only be a matter of time, so I decided to dodge the draft and head for the West Coast. Many people in my family were saddened by my decision, but I would not be swayed. The bottom line was that this fight was not about battling someone with desires of world domination. Rather, to me, it was a spitting match and a moneymaker for those who didn't have the guts to fight themselves. As I left, I thought that I could get lost in a crowd as well as anyone else. And the West Coast was as far away as I could get without leaving the country entirely. So I was willing to take a shot. It wasn't long after I first hit the coast that I found myself hanging with the street hippies and flower children. These people were wandering aimlessly through life, and for the most part, they were doped out of their minds day and night. Being the rebellious anti-war crowd and dominated, which dominated California at the time. Soon after I had arrived, I found myself hooking up with a guy named Jimmy Burns. Like me, he was on the run, having a dive room in some flop house, and his philosophy was, work cheap and work for cash. This way, people will be so happy to have you that they wouldn't dare think you out. The second part of his philosophy was to keep moving, and so we did. We were now a team. Thumbing rides was much too risky. So we had adopted the practice of jumping rail cars from location to location, and I had officially become a hobo. It was an extremely dangerous racket. Sometimes we would check the doors on freight cars at night, hoping to find one that we could sneak into, while at other times we would cling between two cars for hours at a time as the train ran down the tracks. Occasionally, we'd even make our way to the roof and hold on for dear life. God help you if you had to go to the bathroom or got sick. In those days, the tracks were littered with many of those who fell to their death under the cars, doing exactly what we were doing. There was always the threat of being seen and having the cops flag the train down, but we were willing to take the risk. We soon found out that there was a network of camps running up and down the state. Thousands of guys like us and others created these godforsaken ghettos in the woods out of trash, scrap wood, and sheet metal. It was hell, and I was starting to wonder if I should give it up altogether. In the second camp that we had hit, one of the drunks told us, uh, to make sure that we sleep close together. We looked at each other for a moment, and I know that we both thought the same thing. 
When I questioned him about his motivation, he told me that guys disappear from this place at night, especially when the farming season was over. This dude staggered off, and the two of us realized that you could lose your life in these woods for a $5 bill, and no one would ever know the difference. We stayed awake that entire night. The next day, I caught up with the same cat from the night before, and this time he was relatively sober. So I asked him about the guys disappearing. He looked me square in the eyes and said that the hairy men took bums like us for food. I shook my head in disbelief and asked him what the hell a hairy man was. And he told me there were things in the woods that man knows nothing about. When the food runs out in the fields, they come to us looking for a meal. This was the craziest thing that I had ever heard. Hairy men eating humans. All I can think was that this guy had to be touched in the brain. That afternoon, we split yet again. There was no way we were going to hang here for another night. We slept in the woods by a freight yard for two days, hoping to find an open car, and finally we did. Being a hobo was a lot like being an addict. If people dug you, they would take you in and hook you up with what you needed to know. You became part of the in-crowd, can-you-dig-it man. So on our next jump off, we found another camp and got hooked into a little work as well. We worked at a masonry yard for several weeks, crashing inside of some cesspool rings at night. The owner knew it, but he didn't care. We were giving him a good day's work on the cheap, and he knew that we were runners. He had a portable toilet in the yard and let us use his sink during the day. In keeping with our philosophy of always moving on, we split this scene after about 12 days and went back to the camp. When we got back, a number of guys said to watch our butts because one of the guys was taken in his sleep the week before. When we asked what he had been taken by, they told us that one of the big hairy suckers had gotten him, pulling him right out of his box, screaming and kicking into the woods. All of his crap was still in the camp and no hobo would ever leave his stuff anywhere. That was the end for me. I hung it up in the camp for a few more hours. I hung in the camp for a few more hours while a couple of these guys talked about a boneyard they had found a few miles north that had human remains scattered everywhere. An hour later, I was on the highway thumbing a ride, and I didn't care if I got caught or even arrested. I was done with this whole scene. It took me almost two months to get home, stopping to work for some food and lodging along the way. When I got home, my draft number hadn't even come up. However, it did uh, not too long after at which point I had a change of heart and went into service. Thankfully, I had a good working knowledge of engines, which parlayed me into a stateside gig, 
and I am obviously alive and here today to tell you my tale. There you have it, Kev. Pretty cool. Freaking hobo. <laughs> what a life, huh? How about this idea of people getting nailed in these camps out in the woods? Mm. Obviously, they were hiding. They didn't want to be seen, so they were probably in fairly deep, secluded, you know, trying to stay off the radar, you know? Yeah, I mean, who knows, right? Yeah, you don't know. Uh, but when you're out there, anything goes, man. Oh, yeah. No defense, no guns, no weapons. Uh, it could have been a cougar jumping up and biting you in the freaking throat and killing you. Yep. You know. But in this case, he says they were talking about hairy men grabbing people when the farms went dry. Uh, maybe that's just the way they looked at it. Who the heck knows, you know? No idea. Yeah. I didn't understand when the farm, meaning like, I guess they have nothing to eat because the farms are. Uh... I guess when the harvest was done, their thinking was they were eating uh, f- uh, food or vegetables or fruits that were in the field. Okay. And it just seemed to coincide with uh, the ending of the growing season of whatever it was that people seemed to get in trouble. Right. So, I don't, true or untrue, who knows? This is just what he relays, you know? Who knows, yeah. Very, very we bizarre. We will never know. <laughs> no. Now, I don't want to know. Now, they said I, this was in the Northwest, right? But they didn't say exactly where? Well, he said he was in Southern California. Okay. Uh, you know, you're talking hippies and flower children and stuff back then. I remember Haight-Ashbury was a big location. Okay. Uh but don't ask me where Haight-Ashbury is in California, because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Yeah, so I'm not big on the uh, 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 locations in southern and northern and uh, middle California. You know, When I look at a map, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Right. But uh, as far as me naming to you where they were, and he didn't even say. So, But how about jumping boxcars? Oh, stuff? my God. What a dangerous. I can't imagine. And when he you talked know, about, like, what if you were sick, you know, jeez. Yeah, you don't think about it. You know, what well, if you got a ride on a roof? You were sitting on the roof and you had to go. Mm. Think about that, you know. Mm. Hey, can you stop the train? Is there, like, a little bell you ring here? Can I push a button? <laughs> hey, the guy on the roof wants us to stop. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> no, a different guy, different guy. <laughs> The last time it was the guy on top of 306. <laughs> <laughs> Different guy. He gets a stop. Come on, slow it down. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Uh, and how about this guy working in the Mason yard and they were sleeping inside of some uh, cesspool rings? <laughs> you know, what a way to live. Man, I, I mean, I to, guess. It, remember, I used to build that precast concrete. Oh, that's right. Oh, for uh, I built those cesspool rings, cesspool covers, the whole thing. And I can't imagine sleeping in one of them. Well, it was shelter, right, to some extent? Oh, yeah, definitely shelter. Definitely shelter. You know, not, I guess as good as any thin tent. Yeah. You know, climb in it and do something and then little, climb out in the morning. A little chilly inside, those con- inside that concrete. <laughs> <laughs> Probably more chilly outside of them, though, if True. the weather was wrong, you know? Yeah. 
But uh, anyways, I mean, this is the way people... Can you picture yourself living in the woods in Portland or something? Not me. No. Very bizarre, you know? No, sir. No. But so what do we have, Kevin? Our listener mail this evening. Yeah. All right. So our first email comes in from Greg from Montana. And this is about a book package, which I didn't really follow, Bill, but I wanted to present it to you because it does have potentially some economic promise. So Greg writes, hello, I recently ran ran across your episodes on Sasquatch Chronicles. I absolutely loved your content. I was wondering if you had thought about bundling your books and audiobooks into a package for sale. Excuse me. Perhaps the podcasts cover it, but I love the way you've parceled it into your books, and I'm interested in maybe getting all of the content in one purchase. Let me know if this is possible or if you've thought of it. Sincerely, Greg from Montana and a brother in Christ. Well, Greg, because you're a brother in Christ and because you're from Montana, I'll help my brother answer this because I know what he's going to say. You just open up Amazon. And you put every book and every audio recording in the cart and then hit checkout. And that's the bundle. <laughs> that's it, man. That's your bundle. That's your bundle, brother. How did I do, Bill? <laughs> uh, you did great. And by the way, folks, uh, I don't have boxes of these books sitting around my house. He doesn't even have one to autograph and send to his brother. <laughs> You know, Jeez. so it's it's and and when I get books from Amazon, uh, I have to pay the author's price, which is less than you buy them for. I was going to say it's probably more than what people buy. <laughs> and you know, it's it's so once in a while I have a little giveaway or something, but uh i'm not by any means uh in the business of warehousing books no selling books in groupings uh you know et cetera so but put them uh, all in the cart and you know watch for these amazon prime days too i mean you're gonna miss this prime day, but you know tomorrow as we're recording this is a big prime day on Amazon you know watch for those mark them on your calendar. And buy a whole package of all the books and all the Audible books at the same time. Save some money. There you go. Touche, mon frere. (laughs) All right. Our next email comes in from Rita. This is pretty creepy, Bill. So the subject is Mysterious Disappearance in Montana. Mm. And Rita says, my mother, who, who has passed away by now, told me this story about her uncle. Sometime in the 1960s, my great-uncle would go fishing in northwest Montana every summer. He'd camp and stay most of the summer. When he didn't return as expected, two of my other uncles went to his camp to check on him. When they got there, my great-uncle wasn't at his camp. As far as they could tell, nothing was missing. His vehicle was there, his rifle was in the tent, and his fishing gear was also there in the tent. They searched the area and couldn't find him, so they reported him missing with the local authorities. They searched many miles around the camp, but he was never found. 
and nothing has been found of him in 50 or so years. <laughs> I was a child when this happened, and I don't remember much about this. This is what my mother told me. My uncles who searched for him have since passed away. Although my brother, who's 20 years older than I, more than likely knows more details, to date we've never discussed it. I plan on asking him to tell me what he knows about it. Who knows what really happened? I'm new to your podcast, which I love. I've been binge listening to your previous episodes. I personally give you a five-star rating. I hope you found my story interesting. My condolences, Bill, for your wife. God bless you both, Bill and Kevin. Sincerely, Rita. Mm, interesting, eh, Kev? Yeah, very cool. Mm. Montana? What, northwest Montana. I mean, that's up in my old neck of the woods when I lived in eastern Washington. Yeah. yeah that that's is really rural up there. Yeah, it's God's country up there, man. Yeah, as, as our dad used to say, only God goes there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because he can lick anything that's walking around, exactly. you know. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I was talking to uh, a fellow, I think I may have mentioned this last podcast. Uh, he tells me, you know, Bill, some people are afraid to go in the woods at night, but I love it. And man, I just for the life of me, I can't wrap my head around that. You know, that you would desire to wait till it gets dark yeah, not me. and be, begin your hike. Not me, brother. Yeah, not me either. I've done a lot of hiking out there in the forest in the daytime, very little in the nighttime, and I don't have any desire to go do more in the nighttime. Yeah, not to mention you could, first of all, I don't think these guys are walking around with a flashlight on all the time. No. Uh, and even with that, I mean, geez, you could turn an ankle at the you fourth mile. You can't see anything. You can't yeah. see anything. Yeah. Yeah, you could really get in trouble quick over there, man. But more than one person has told me that. They go out at night. Not me. And uh, solo. It's no, something about- I mean, you shouldn't even go out hiking solo in the daytime. You really yeah. need a body. You get hurt or something. Most of the places where where we talk about your hiking is no cell phone coverage, and people aren't carrying satellite phones. Yeah, and just because somebody knows the area you're going to go park, I mean... No, you, you tr- know, it'd be a week before they found you. Right, try to pick... And if you were injured, a, forget yeah. it. Yeah, try to pick a spot on the compass to start heading in. Yeah, good luck. And hope hope you hit somebody. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, Bill, our last email is my favorite email Mm -hmm. from Katrina. And she writes in about Stonehenge, or as they say over there, Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. And she writes, hi, Bill and Kevin. I'm an art history professor and just gave my lecture on Neolithic art. So I just had to chuckle while listening to you two talk about it as you address some of the things I told my students about Stonehenge. I used the example of a Lego when describing the mortise and tenon system, like you. To place it on the world timeline for my students, I compared Stonehenge to the Great Pyramids of Giza. The famous standing stones that look like the pi sign, trilithons, if you want to be technical, 
and the Giza pyramids were built roughly at the same time. To be fair, the earliest parts of Stonehenge were started before the pyramids. Lots of times we think of it being different because Europe was still in a Neolithic era and Egypt was in the Bronze Age. We don't talk about it a lot, but Egypt was just more technologically advanced at that point in time. And she says, by the way, thank you for not focusing on the fact that aliens may have been building it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. And she says, keep up the great work. Which, by the way, Bill, I think I mentioned it in the podcast, but while we were standing there at Stonehenge, it was so clear what this place was, and that man built it. But yet, you know, every time you turn on the television, and I love as much of the ancient alien history as I can get, as much as the next person, but I'm like, that's not what this place is about. Like, this is a timekeeping mechanism that people built very deliberately. Mm-hmm. So... So, yeah, it always looked that way to me, almost I like know, a pr- I know, primitive and then when you're uh, there in watch. Person, there's no chance, you know. But Katrina, thank you. At first, when I started to read your email, I thought you were going to make fun of us for being monkeys compared to an art historian. Um, but you didn't, which is great. <laughs> yeah, now interesting to hear uh, uh, a different vibe coming from uh, Katrina, you know. Yeah. And it shows you the array of our audience, you know. There's a lot of uh, different strokes being conveyed out there from different folks oh, and yeah. different parts of the world. We got scholars. We got hobos. <laughs> and some really dumb mother jumpers. <laughs> <laughs> Not too many of them. Not too many. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, Kev, that was... Uh, and what was the city again uh, with the hairy man? The hairy man was. Was that Westfield? No, Winstead. So it's oh, Winstead. W I N S T E D. So not E A D either. E-D. That's an interesting Winstead, spelling, too. Winstead. Yeah. Well, anyways, great podcast. Good to have all you folks with us. As you know, last week. Uh, Times got were conflicted from my brother and I, and we couldn't put up a new podcast. But that happens, you know. Where yeah, we hope you enjoyed the old one, you know. Yeah, yeah, and they're interesting too, you know. Uh, and by the way, folks, if you want to contact us, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. dot com. Hit the contact link. If you've seen something, say something, as so many of you have. I'm interested to talk to you, to hear what you have to say, where you were, what you saw, what evidence you found. Contact me at BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. And by the way, if you should find yourself walking around Winstead, or anywhere else for that matter, you better remember one thing, my friend. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight.